My name's Jason Fleming, and this is the More Than My Past podcast from the Forward Trust. My guest on this episode is conceptual artist Gary Mansfield. Gary was involved in crime from an early age, but he wasn't given a long prison sentence until £4.2 million worth of heroin was planted in his car. While serving his time in HMP Swellside, he was inspired by an art teacher who ignited a passion that fueled his turnaround story. Mentored and encouraged by a host of conceptual artists, including the great Tracy Emin, Gary completed a degree in fine arts before creating his own work of art, which has been exhibited internationally and sells for huge sums of money. He interviews other artists on his own Ministry of Arts podcast, and Gary's belief in the redemptive power of art really comes through when he speaks. I love chatting to brilliant Gary about his life and his work, and I hope you enjoy listening too. I always find it interesting that you find your place, you know, and with you, with the painting, did that become your sort of, you know, your identity as a sort of, you know, you're a London lad, you're a bit of a rascal, and then all of a sudden you were the guy who was the painter? Well, I wanted to change anyway, yeah. to tell you the truth, because I got stitched up for, for what I went away for. Yeah. I felt a bit like a victim. Would I have been a criminal all my life? You know, I got stitched up by this drugs, by this drugs gang. Yeah. I got 14 years in prison. Like I'd, I'd always followed that stupid unwritten rule, you know, and I thought, you know, villainy was this glamorous lifestyle. And I did love it for a while. But then when I got stitched up and, and I went away, I started looking at people in a different way, you know, and, and looking at myself. And the, the bits that I was seeing in people that I didn't like, I was seeing them bits in myself, you know. And I thought, I, I don't want to spend seven years in jail and come out the arsehole that I went in, you know, <laughs> and um, I just wanted to try and change. And it was just at the right time because I wanted to change, but all I knew was, was crime. And I saw crime as like an addiction because I lived it every day. I thought it all the time. You know, if, if I watched a fucking film, it was to do with crime, you know, yeah. everyone I knew was a criminal. And if they wasn't a criminal, they was okay with crime. You know, they'd, they'd buy a bit of hooky gear here and there or, or what yeah. have you, you know. And there was, and even if I'd got released, I would have gone back into that lifestyle anyway. So I, I was well aware that it was my mind that had to change, but I didn't know how to do it. And just by chance with the art, and I started writing to artists, they've sort of adopted me, you know, at, at just the right time. They yeah. said, like, you know, come and join this lifestyle. We'll have you, you know. And how did that happen? What happened? Well, I was I, I went into the education department. I had a seven, I had a fourteen year sentence, so I had seven years to serve. Um, and I I did want to come out a different person that I went in. I knew that much. And computers were just sort of all the rage then, if you could say that, in the mid nineties. So um, I wanted to get on a computer course. And the quickest way to work up the ladder was to get on anywhere in education and then you could jump the queue. So the class with the most um, vacancies was the art class. So I went in there. The tutor was amazing. You know, he was, he was good company. He was funny and enthusiastic. Uh, there was a couple of other guys there who were getting into art and I just fell in love with it. Um, I wrote to a couple of artists. They replied. Then I had the um, catalogue shown to me of the Sensations exhibition that was on at the Royal Academy, which was a quite famous uh, exhibition at the time. The one that caused a lot of controversy 
Um, it was like when Damien Hurst and Gavin Turk, Sarah Luca, Tracy, I mean, all of them started coming to prominence. Um, I didn't like any of the art, but then I just, I fell in love with it overnight due to one artwork that really turned me. The Myra Hindley. No, no, it wasn't that one. It was a, um, an artist called Mona Hatoum. Hmm. She had the colander and she turned it upside down and it was just filled with nuts and bolts. Um, and when I first saw it, I was like, oh, that's, that's just a load of shit. That's a trip to B&Q in a £10 note, you know. <laughs> um, but there was a little bit of text with this artwork. Um, and it said something along the lines of she'd come to the UK from Lebanon to, to study. There was a regi- regime change at home. And she wasn't allowed back because she was a sort of unwelcome, educated woman, you know. Mm-hmm. And the colander represented a sort of barrier over her homeland and the nuts and bolts were closing off all of the um, entrances and exits to get home, you know. And because of where I was sitting in the cell, that resonated with me somewhat. And then I just thought, well, how can she say all of that with yeah. just a, a, a fucking colander and a bag of nuts and bolts, you know? Yeah. And then that sort of made me look at all of the other artwork, which was like the shark and the Myra Hindley and the mm-hmm. tent, like Tracy Eamon's famous tent. Yeah. And I looked at that in different eyes. And then just understood that it wasn't about the finished artwork. That was just a 3D representation of the idea they was trying to get across, hence the name conceptual art. We, I spent my whole youth going, you know, like when we used to go like on school trips to Tate and they had that pile of bricks. Do you remember? It was like... That's it, Carl Andre. Yeah, and you're like, well, anyone could do that. Yeah, but you're like, exactly. yeah, but, but you didn't. <laughs> exactly. And that's the perfect answer. I know it's a, it's a cliched answer that everyone uses and we have to use it because it's 100% correct. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you've, you know, who done it first. It's the fact that someone done it first. Yeah. And it's the idea. And the heart behind that, the message behind that. Yeah. It's like you said about the colander. It's 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 what rep- what it represents and what's behind it. In fact, some of your work, which um, I hope when people have read uh, listen to this podcast they'll get on gary's you know instagram and and have a sniff around like i did and start to see what he's doing and his stuff because you know it's it's the message behind something that's so that's fascinating I mean, that's art isn't it that's the whole point of it yeah well that's that's what i like to do and i see an artwork as a representation of me and i like a, a sort of multi-layered artwork and and all, all of us we're all multi-layered you know and with this conceptual art, it is just like seeing a person. You know, you, you have your opinions of a person, which are, which you know, which we've all got. We all have these first impressions of someone, and then the more you find out about them, you find out that everyone's multi-layered, and then you start mm. finding out about their story, and that's what conceptual art is like. You know, you, you see it first of all, and it is a I don't know, maybe a, a shark in a in a tank, and you you know, you go, oh, it's just a shark in a tank, and then you start sort of looking at was what Damien Hurst was trying to say about the shark. And then all of a sudden it becomes a bit more than just a shark in a tank or a tent with names in it, you know? You said you were looking for a key to change and you didn't know what that key would be. When you were growing up, when you were class at school, did it feel like that road that you took was depressingly destined and that you would end up in trouble at some point? Um, well, to be honest, Jace, the trouble was fun. When we was all kids and, you know, some of the kids would be, I don't know, playing marbles on a drain as yeah. they used to. We'd go around sort of 
well, being a pain in the arse, jumping on yeah. and off buses, and yeah. because that was fun. And then yeah. the fun, we just kept feeding off of that. And, and it, you know, we had to do bigger and bigger things to make it more fun. And then we started earning money. Then we found that you could earn money at this fun. Yeah. And then all of a sudden things changed. There was friends of mine going to work, paying 25% tax. And I was like, are you fucking serious? A quarter of your pay packets to someone else. Fuck that. And, yeah. you know, we was going out on a Saturday night. There was a lot of fights. and and But that was exciting, depending on which side of the violence you ended up on, you know, which side mm. of the fight you ended up on. But it was, it was fun. It was exciting. There was girls. There was money. Yeah. What, what more does a young lad want? And then yeah. it all comes crashing down when you get up when you get set up by a drugs gang and get a fourteen-year prison sentence, you know. And that sentence, um, I know you found art and that became your life. But how do you go about forgiving that? How do you go about letting that go? And do you think some of that still that resentment and anger is still there? Well, uh, anger isn't there anymore because, to be honest, I mean, I'll, I, I I have to keep saying this whenever I have interviews and talk to people but I'm I am a different person now to the guy that went to prison and that was in prison I hate the guys that set me up I knew the guy that set me up and for around about two years every single night I was imagining how I'm going to get him when I get out where I'm going to take him what I'm going to do to him and where he's going to end up so that no one else knows where and I had that for two years and it wasn't until a close friend of mine come into my jail and he's, you know, we, we're sitting there chatting and um, he said, oh, you know, what's happened with so-and-so who's, you know, who set you up. And then I, I started telling him about this thing that I had every single night, what I'm going to do to him. And he just sort of started, like, as I'm talking, he's leaning back and he was going, Gary, man, you've got to fucking stop that. And he could see yeah. that in my eyes, I was sort of, this yeah. primal person was coming to the surface, you know? And he was going, Gary, you ain't that person, man. He's going, you're going to end up doing a lifetime in jail. And then it was when I was talking to him, then I, that's when I sort of, I thought, oh, fuck it. Man. I'm, I'm dragging them around my sentence with me. You know, it's, yeah. they're making my sentence harder. They've put me in here and they're making my bird a bit harder, you know? And then I don't know whether it just faded away, but I was like, well, fuck them. I'm, I want to be an artist now. That's yeah. a life of crime. I can't carry them around with me. Otherwise, I'm just always going to be this fucking artist who's destined to go and kidnap someone and bury them in Epping Forest, you know? I guess without the sentence or that sentence, which is a weird thing to say, but me glass half full, but without that sentence, you probably wouldn't have tripped over the, the thing that would give you passion for the rest of your no, life. No, exactly. So I don't ever knock doing the sentence and going to prison. Yeah. When I go and give talks in jails now, although I've not done them for a little while because of, you know, because of yeah. COVID, but when I go in and give talks, I just say to people, just be creative. You know, you write, read, do anything to keep your mind buzzing. You know, you don't, you, you won't ever know what it, what it leads to, you know? Mm -hmm. So did you become Gary on the wing who's the artist? I mean, there's a certain amount Definitely. of pride, yeah. you know, there must've been a certain amount of pride from the other, from the other uh, inmates about what you were doing. Of course. Yeah, did well, you I'm, end up? Did they end up going? Will you draw this birthday card for my missus? I had, yeah, had all that. Had all that. Yeah, and it's and and that, that was the that was the fun thing that that used to give me a buzz yeah. because I become like a fucking preacher, Jace. You know, yeah. when I fell in love with art, I found this fucking holy grail. You know, it yeah. gives you everything. It it gave me so much, and 
it, it hit me and affected me so quick. I even referred to myself as a born again artist because yeah, then all of a sudden I'd be standing up on my fucking soapbox, just telling people about this artist that I've just learned about, you know, and I wrote to the artist in that mm-hmm. sensations uh, exhibition. And I wrote to um, 32 artists hoping that one of them would reply to tell me about this new conceptual art. And out of 32 I wrote to, fucking 28 replied. 28. And then all of a sudden, this this new family was sending me all this information. So I'm telling all the guys about it. And they can see, I I, I still get enthusiastic now, just like the fucking first day. I'm telling them about all these artists that are writing to me and the stuff they've done. And I'm explaining their art to them. And they're listening to me about this subject that they have no interest in. But now they've got an interest in it because I've got an interest in it. They're my mates. You know, I was a sort of prominent, prominent-ish bloke on the wing, you know, and all of yeah. a sudden they can see this fucking change in me. And when I would do the drawings that you say about for people on their letters or do a little painting for someone so that they can send it to their kids or wife or what have you, what I'd do, I'd, I'd bring them in and I'd leave a little bit of it blank. And I'd say, well, like, you know, I might be charging them a tenner for it, mm-hmm. you know. Out here is probably about 200 quid. But, you know, in there, I was charging a tenner for it, leaving a little bit blank, giving them a paintbrush and say, look, I'll give it to you half price. You just spend half hour painting it with me. Yeah. And they'd come in and paint with me. And then all of a sudden, you're on this little bit of common ground. You've left gel and bravado outside the cell door. We're both sitting here with a paintbrush. After time, the guys got their their tongue out, you know, like concentrating, trying to keep within the lines. Then one of the guys who was this fucking airy-ass, scary bank robber, he just went, what was the thing with that Picasso then? You know, and then why did that bloke cut his ear off? And then all of a sudden, they're just asking me questions about these artists that they've never bothered chasing up that query before but they've always wanted to know the answer. And then I sort of pull them in to the art world, you know, or pull them away from the criminal world just for a few moments. And it is like showing someone a a little light. And then, you know, if they want to take that route, then you're opening it up for them. You know, it was amazing. When I first started this podcast, I felt and I didn't really know the expression, but imposter syndrome, you know, because yeah. I'm a tourist, I go in the nick and I have a little flirt about and say hello to the lads and then I leave and feel good about myself. And that's kind of a history of what I've done. And, you know, um, you've said you felt that joining or being part of the art world. Yeah. Well, I mean, I get that. I, I mean, that makes sense to me and I understand why you feel that. What I'm also interested in is people I've spoken to who felt imposter syndrome as an ex-con, just in normal life, you know, in having your family, a missus, you know, a comfortable existence or, you know, how do you feel about that? You know, and obviously it's to do with the art world as well, but how do you feel about living a normal life and 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 what the cards you now, what you're now holding the cards you've got? Well, I've, I've since discovered um, that anyone that doesn't have imposter syndrome is a fucking imposter. they're the ones we we all we all get it every now and then and i think imposter syndrome is possibly just a lack of confidence in the environment you found yourself in possibly you know sometimes you know i'll be a a swanky arts do which the swanky ones aren't really my cup of tea but i'll be there and i'll talk to people 
and it took me a long time to realise this, but these people that have been around the arts, you know, all their life, they've come from middle, upper middle class families. They're yearning to speak to people like me, you know, people that they want to, they'd love to be off of Snatch or Lockstock or, or coming from a council estate in Dagenham, you know, but they haven't got the background or sometimes haven't even got the bollocks to do it, you know, and and everyone admires everyone else for whatever yeah. reasons. I, I used to have like a, a door firm and I'd go around paying the um, paying the guys and a friend of mine kept going on about how exciting it would be. And so I took him around with me as I was paying the wages to the doorman, you know, and it mm. kicked off there one night and he absolutely shit himself. And that little bit of um, bit of want to, to be in it soon went out the window, yeah. you know, like that little bit of realisation. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think I learned from a young age that it's better to play the doorman than be the doorman, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> especially, I suppose. When, especially when you spend time with big Lenny McLean, it's yeah, like, I don't really exactly. want to be you, I'd like to play you. <laughs> when you started your art journey, you know, it became a key for you to change your personality, but also it literally became a key, I think, because you changed the cat, the category of prisoner you were in order to do yeah. art classes. So you went down to Cat C and then not quickly, but for the story, you then started going on day release to college, didn't you? I did from Aylesbury. So when you, okay, two things. When you start doing day release, and obviously you were doing that into a college that's full of, you know, all of our kids, you know, they're all our kids yeah. who are going there and they're studying and they want to just smoke spliffs in, in the in the common room, go to the pub at lunchtime. And and I know you were a different age, I'm guessing, Gary. Yeah. Were they much I younger was, than you? I was just hitting 30. They okay. were 17, 18. 18. Okay, so that made you unique to them anyway. Yeah. In that sense. But did you never feel like not going back? Did it ever even cross your mind not to get on the bus and go back to the Nick? No, because I had this destination in mind. At this point, I wanted to be an artist yeah. and go to university. You can't go to university when you're on, on the, the track, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's what I had in mind. I wasn't a criminal anymore. By the time yeah, I went to brilliant. university and said, I want to be an artist, I was no longer a criminal. I still had like another three and a half years to serve or four years to serve. But in my mind, I weren't a criminal anymore. I was this straight, honest um, artist who wanted to learn just so happens I had shackles, you know, so I wasn't an artist anymore, so I weren't going to run. There's two classes you've been in. You've been in your school class back when you were 12 to 16, and you've been in an art class. And it's amazing, isn't it? Because you don't realise the chances of you succeeding or earning a living at what you plan to do are, are tiny. And exactly. when I look at my school class, you know, like in drama school, you know, say there was, I don't know, say there was 35 of us, two of us earn a living, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's it's amazing, isn't it? You decided that's what you wanted to do and you went for it. You had no safety net. No, there's, you know, I, I knew that what I wanted was was a passion inside. And I've never had a passion other than crime. Yeah. I'd never done anything, Jace. I had no, I was never into football. I was never into, I was always into music, but I was never passionate about it. I had no, all my life, I had no passion yeah. other than fucking crime. And I just found this new focus that, that gave me something else. And your life and your sentence inspire and not define your, your work, but have been the subject of your art. Do you feel that as you go forward, that work will develop? I mean, I know you've been through some hard times, mate, and, and even since out of prison and some hard stuff with your family. Do you feel that that will then um, influence your work as you go forward? Definitely, because I bring 
other circumstances, like, like the hard circumstances you're talking about at the moment, I presume you're talking about my son with the, the recent yeah. cancer. Yeah, he was yes. just diagnosed with a rare cancer, which which he had two tumours. They've, they've got rid of them. That's all fine. But I, I can bring things into my my world, if you like. I've got my own little world that works on pillars of identity, empathy, and I can pull things in like my son. You know, I see that he's now been given a sentence because it's genetic, the cancer he's got. I see he's now been given his own prison sentence. He's got a lifetime of this thing that could happen inside him any time. So I can talk about um, what's happened with my son, but bring it into my world. I won't mm-hmm. necessarily talk about tumor, uh, like my son's tumours as um, things that are in him, external to my world. I bring them in and then all of a sudden these things are the equivalent to my sentence, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, in time, you've also quoted as being one of the things that you you always sort of use to influence you. And, yeah. and time, whether it's sentence or time, whether it's how long you've been ill or how long you will be ill for is is an important factor, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I don't know if you've seen, I had a, I had a bunk bed. I don't know if you've ever seen the bunk bed with the bricks on the oh, bottom. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. That's... Like, well, well, I've repurposed that bunk bed and... Like you were saying about um, about my son, I've, I'm doing an installation at the moment at the Fulham Town Hall. There's a big exhibition that's taking over that the whole town hall in May. Down there, I've got the room and the bunk beds in there. Oh, fantastic. And, um, I've repurposed that bunk bed. There's no longer bricks, but underneath, I'm having it as being my son Samuel's bunk bed, although it's a, pris- uh, it's a prison bunk bed. Yeah. So Samuel's down the bottom, and I've worked out where both of these tumours were and I've got rays of red wall going into um, where the tumours are on his body, you know. And like so the lasers. It looks like this explosion of lasers coming out, yeah. going up to the bunk above. And because it's genetic, and we only found out about this cancer sort of like a year ago, it's going up to the bunk above, which is the next, which I'm seeing as the next generation. And so unwittingly, the generation above has passed this on to him. And so has every generation above that, you know. Oh, that sounds amazing. I can't wait to see that exhibition. I mean, Gary, I adore your stuff. I think it's really cool. Gary's done this. Um, I mean, I don't know if you'd say this was your core piece, if that's what you call it, but yeah. Gary's done this amazing uh, sculpture of a prison shirt. You know, when you look at it, you go, wow, that that's amazing. It's a replication, a perfect replication of a shirt. But when you know what's behind it, and I'd like you just to talk about that piece because I'm I'm definitely having one. I'm, it's beautiful. Tell me about that show because I think it it sort of explains everything you feel about art and about what it is. Well, it's it's definitely one of the strongest emotional um, artworks I've ever made, possibly the strongest because I see it as an honest representation of me, more or less a like a conceptual self portrait because it does explain a lot about me. Now, it's a shirt like you would see in Debenhams, for instance, whereas in Debenhams, they're they're folded up into sort of roughly an A4 size, and they're all pristine. And and then you get them home, you take the pins out, and then you've got a square of pristine ironed fabric, and everything else is creased and folded. And I see that as, as a lot of people at the moment, especially on social media, that on the surface they're trying to be one thing and behind or inside there's something else. Whereas I try to be as honest as possible and the shirt sculpture that I've created, it has got um, creases and folds and tears. It's got a button missing. It's got a chipped button. So I'm trying to say that I'm putting my um, thoughts on the surface for everyone to see. 
so that when you unfold it, you know, you're, you're getting what you're, you're seeing, you know, some, yeah. and I've called it, it's called either I am perfect or imperfect um, because both words are spelt the same when you, you know, you take the gaps out of, if you take the gap out of I'm, um, oh, I'm yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a little play on words. So I'm saying it's like the glass half full or half empty. It depends on, on the way you look at it. People can see me as being an ex-criminal as a negative thing. Other people can see it as a positive thing. So th that's what I'm doing. So I'm giving the viewer the opportunity to call it I'm perfect or imperfect. And it came from a poem. When I was a bit depressed and come to a junction in my life when I was in there, a lot of people turn to poetry because it's a way of sort of expressing themselves and, you know, that sort of thing. And I wrote this little poem that was exactly that. I'm perfect or imperfect depends on one's perception. But I'd never even shown my wife that poem. And we've been together now for sort of like 17 years, you know. And um, it wasn't mm. until I created this shirt and, and I sold it. And I was giving this poem to people as well as a sort of, um, as a gift to sort of explain what the shirt was all about. And um, it was so precious to me that I couldn't even read the poem without getting upset because it took me back to that junction in my life where yeah. the old me, which I refer to as Roy Maynard and the new me separated, you know, and um, it sort of brings up the emotions that I was going through at that moment and the conflicts that I was having inside, you know, and still to this day, to be honest. Yeah. So, so that's what it is. It was an honest yeah. representation of a prison shirt to say it's got as much value as if it was a, a shirt from not several row. I can't remember the name of the road where the yeah. shirt's made, but yeah. you know, it's got as much value. I've got as much value as the next man. This folded up prison shirt has got as much value as the shirt next to it. Can you tell us that poem, Gary, or do you want me to find it and I'll read it at the end? I, I can't fucking read it, man, to tell you the truth. Okay. I don't think you'll find it. I've, I'll find when it. When I sold the last shirt yeah. uh, a couple of months ago from that yeah. first batch of seven. Yeah. I, I sent it to a, a person. It happens it was a friend. I sent uh, the, the last one got bought by a friend. I gave it to her. I gave her the the poem and she fucking burst out in, in front of yeah. me. I'm getting a little bit upset now. Yeah. Sorry, thinking about it. But um, she was going, please, let you've got to do something. It's, it's too strong to just give it to seven people, you know. So I did take the step and, and read it out. Ah, I read it out on my 100th podcast is where I read it. Okay. And um, yeah, it got me, got me then. And it's sort of getting me a little bit now, to be well, honest. Well, Gary, if you don't mind, do you mind if I, because I've, I've listened to that podcast with you interviewing yourself. And if oh, you don't okay. mind, I'll uh, cut and paste it and stick it on the end of this. By all means, right. by all means. I'm perfect or imperfect, depends on one's perception. The shirt was cast with creases bare to ask that very question. A prison shirt, no less. It tells an artist's tale. How an identity was stolen with cowardice betrayal. I'm perfect or imperfect. Depends on one's perception. Liberty gone, a man condemned by another man's deception. The darkest hour comes just before the dawn, historian Fuller said. Seven years of fourteen spent waking in a prison bed. I'm perfect or imperfect. Depends on one's perception. Discovering art had changed my life. I slowly found redemption. It broke down the walls and freed my mind. 
the darkness became light. A man reborn with identity changed almost overnight. I'm perfect or imperfect depends on one's perception. I gave this shirt embedded meaning from its very conception. Life's not fair, we all have faults, some we try to hide. I put mine on show for all to see. I'm an artist that's been inside. I'm perfect or imperfect, depends on one's perception. I bear a cross that shouldn't be mine, nor should of those years' detention. With my sight I witnessed sorrow, my hearing witnessed pain. My hands now tell of that injustice, so it never need happen again. I'm perfect or imperfect, depends on one's perception. This shirt is me, it could have been you, and so I ask the question. I'm perfect or imperfect, what is your perception? If you're interested in hearing more about the More Than My Past campaign and viewing dozens more inspirational stories, check out the campaign website, morethanmypast.org.uk. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, subscribe and look out for future episodes.